listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Today, we are talking about one of your favorite topics. We're talking about sexual sin. <laughs> Mixed reviews, I can tell. <laughs> My sexual sin today. And before we really get going, um, a couple of things I, I just want to remind you of. First of all, let's not act like this is the, the worst sin of all sins. And that like, you know, there's, there's sin and then there's sexual sin. Like that, that Jesus has to scrub a little harder with his blood for this sin. Like sin is sin. And by the grace of God, Jesus' blood covers all our sin. Amen? So let, let's, like, let's just for a second, let's remember that, that. This is, like if we were talking about gossip or jealousy, just as serious. That said, it, it is a, a serious topic, talking about sexual sin. Another thing to remember is, uh, I think, kind of a common um, misunderstanding this is not just a struggle for guys. Like, I, I'm prone to think that, that guys maybe are wired a little more to struggle with this, but that this is not just, this is not a sermon for the men only, okay? Like this is, this is a struggle for, for ladies too. Uh, another thing, um, I'm gonna use the, the term sexual sin. And as we go through, uh, we're gonna be in Proverbs 5 through 7, by the way. I forgot to say that when I was being, struggling up here. <laughs> but, um, as we're going to read through the text, so much of it is he references the wayward woman or the, the prostitute, but really this truth applies to any sexual sin. So to adultery, which he covers pretty explicitly in here, um, to pornography. The pornography, as we know, it was not a thing in Solomon's day, but if he was writing this book today, he would for sure be talking about pornography. Um, it's sexual sin referring to fantasizing, daydreaming about things you shouldn't be, checking people out when you're walking around in public or wherever. Also referring to fooling around with somebody who's not your spouse. That said, sex is a gift from God and it's a good thing. It's a great place to say amen, guys. Come on. <laughs> trying to leave it out there for you. It's a good thing. If you like, we, we talked about this when we did our, uh, the book series and we were in Song of Solomon. Like God devoted a whole book just to sex and how great it is inside of marriage. Like that's pretty big deal. There's a lot of like topics that didn't get any reference in scripture. And he gave a whole book to, to sex and to romance. Okay. And like, if you're um, just, if I need to stir the juices for you a little bit, um, Proverbs 5, 13, excuse me, verse 18. Just in case you're not sure sex was God's idea. He says, let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breast always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Does God, is God okay with sex? Yes. In his eyes, it's a beautiful thing, but there are boundaries. By the way, if you have littles in here, I promise I'm not going to push the envelope. 
I'm going to be, I'm going to talk about what the Bible talks about, but I'll be appropriate, I promise. See some smiles from littles already. So it's going to be good. It's a beautiful thing, but he's, he's given us boundaries. And if we ignore God's boundaries, the boundaries being sex between a man and a woman in a marriage covenant, a marriage relationship, if we take it out of those boundaries or try to bring things into those boundaries that don't belong there, like homosexuality, then, then it ruins it. It, it. It's not as beautiful as it could be. It's like maybe just because it's summertime and it is hot as sweat. Am I right? Like it's so hot outside all week. And this week too, we'll, we'll use a pool metaphor. Normally preachers like to use a, a fireplace metaphor, but I don't want to think about fire right now. Um, uh, think about a pool. So a pool has boundaries, right? And a pool is a great thing. It's fun. It's refreshing. It can even be a beautiful pool. But if you get rid of those boundaries, well, you, you lose the pool. Like it, it loses its meaning. It loses its beauty. If you just knock out the walls of your pool, it, it, it's not going to work. Or if you bring things into the pool that aren't supposed to be there. Like if you put a jet ski in your neighbor's pool, it's going to be fun and maybe cute for a few minutes, but you're not going to be invited back. Am I right? Like, it's going to go poorly really quickly. Or if you, if you uh, ignore the boundaries of a pool that like maybe, hey, it's, it's shallow, it's only four feet, and you decide to dive headfirst into the pool, you will be injured, right? And whose fault is it? it? It's your fault. It's not that pool. Whoever designed it, designed it poorly. No, you just dove when you shouldn't dive, right? Like, don't, don't be a fool. Sex is like that. It's, it's beautiful, but there are good, healthy boundaries, and when you ignore those boundaries, you end up in, in a world of hurt. It's not a good thing. You know, so often, I was talking with some friends this week, so often um, in Christian circles and in churches, um, I think two things happen. One, people like me, preachers, don't emphasize why we should avoid and fight sexual temptation. We just often have a tendency to say, don't do it, it's bad. And is sex outside of marriage, is it wrong, is it bad, are, are there dangers? Absolutely. But if you don't know why, we're not helping you much, are we? So this morning, we're going to look at Proverbs and look at why you should fight sexual temptation. Why you should fight sexual temptation. Now, it, if you look at the New Testament, the, the New Testament refers to this sin a lot. And often it's rooted in remember who you are in Christ. You've gone from death to life. You have a new identity in Jesus. And so from that identity, you, you don't live in sin. You, you pursue Christ. You pursue holiness. You pursue purity. One of the cool things about Proverbs is it's just incredibly practical. Like just some really practical reasons why you shouldn't fool around some really practical reasons why you should fight sexual temptation. So we're going to read a good chunk of Proverbs 5 through 7, not every single bit of it, but a good chunk of it, and then just see some quick, two quick reasons why we should fight. But given kind of the, the delicate nature of this topic, I just want to take a moment to, to stop and pray. And I'm going to ask before I pray, if you would just require your heart and mind and ask that God would speak to you this morning, that you would remember and know the grace of God, but also that you would be equipped to fight. So if you would take a minute just to pray.
God, I ask that as we read through the text that you would speak to us, that you would warn our hearts and our minds. Lord, I don't know if I know many people that that don't have some sort of regret or shame or hurt or conviction or even guilt related to sexual sin. So God, I pray that this morning you would apply your healing balm that flows from the cross. Lord, also that you would equip us and challenge us to fight sexual temptation. God, we give ourselves to you in this moment. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you would, we're going to start in Proverbs 5, verse 1. It says, my son, by the way, he's talking to ladies too. Again, I won't say that again, but you you could apply it to you, okay? (laughs) My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding so that you may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil. In the end, she's as bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider, by the way, Sheol was the place of the dead. She doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So now listen to me. And don't turn away from the words from my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your hard earned pay will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed. And you will say, How I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares? They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Here's the verses we read earlier. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful, excuse me, a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes. And he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become entangled in the ropes of his own sin. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because because of his great stupidity. Now, if you would swing down to verse 20 of chapter 6. My son, keep your father's command and don't reject your mother's teaching. Always bind them to your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk here and there, they will guide you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you wake up, they will talk to you. For a command is a lamp, teaching is a light, and corrective discipline is the way to life. They will protect you from an evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a wayward woman. Don't lust in your heart for her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. For a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another man goes after a precious life. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burned? 
Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? So it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People don't despise the thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. Still, if caught, he must pay seven times as much. He must give up all the wealth of his house. The one who commits adultery lacks sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. He will get a beating and dishonor and his disgrace will never be removed. For jealousy enrages a husband and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not be appeased by anything or be persuaded by lavish bribes. Now, if you would uh, jump down to verse six of chapter seven, and he, he, he tells the story, uh, it's almost in the form as if he's, he's watching this and you're hearing him tell this story. At the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense. It's always a great start to the story. Crossing the street near her corner, he strolled down the road to her house at twilight in the evening, in the dark of the night. A woman came to him dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. She is loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, I've made fellowship offerings. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I found you. I've spread coverings on my bed, richly colored linen from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of lovemaking until the morning. Let's feast on each other's love. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. He took a bag of silver with him and will come home at the time of the full moon. She seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his life. Now, sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words from my mouth. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her paths. For she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. Her house is the road to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Kind of heavy. <laughs> Why should you fight sexual temptation? We could say a lot from that text. We could say a lot from the rest of Scripture. We're going to see two things kind of summing some things up. Number one, sexual sin is a trap. It's a trap. What is the nature of a trap? You lure, like if we're talking about an animal here, you lure the animal in with something that looks good to them. Right? Like just to give the most basic, maybe common, like you see it in cartoons all the time. Like you want to get a mouse? What do you put on the little mouse trap? <laughs> yeah, fuck, that was mostly kids. Way to go, kids. Like, yeah. Cheese. Yeah. Because I look, the little mouse like, oh, that looks good. And then bam. Right? That's the nature of a trap. It's a trick. It, it's not actually what you think it is. Look, I'm not going to read everything again. Don't worry. 
But, but at uh, chapter 5, verse th- uh, 3, he gives us this picture of a trap. And again, I think you could apply this to so many different situations for sexual temptation, not just the idea of a prostitute. Though her lips are forbidden, they, they drip honey and her words are smoother than oil. So it, it looks good. It sounds good. He says, it's bitter as wormwood, which I think like just the, wor- the word itself, when you hear it, if you're like me, you don't really know what it is, but you know it doesn't sound good, right? Like, would you like a bite of wormwood? Like, no, please no, right? Wormwood, uh, very common in, around Israel, and it is a very bitter plant. But if you, look, if you look up wormwood, don't do it right now, you can do it later. If you look up wormwood, there's normally flowers on this plant. So it looks really pretty. But if you were to, to eat any of it, it's terribly bitter. You know who eats wormwood? Goats. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, goats like wormwood. And it's used, it's kind of a folk remedy for if you're having intestinal, if you have intestinal worms, they give you wormwood. Hence the name wormwood. So she looks good. She sounds good. It's really enticing. But when you actually get a taste of what this seductive person is offering, it's disgusting. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's just a trap. Says her, she's as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. So she's, she's inviting, or again, just know she or he, whatever, okay? She's inviting you to something that sounds amazing, but she's actually inviting you to death says she doesn't consider the path of life. She doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So you think she's inviting you to this grand time. It's going to be amazing. But actually, she's inviting you into destruction. So you, you click on that link on the internet or wherever it is, and it, it's enticing. It looks good. It looks fun. But in reality, it's an invitation to death of some sort. It's an invitation to harm and pain and sadness. Like, just as a quick aside, I'm getting ahead of myself about, with application, but like, one of the most powerful prayers you can pray in regard to sexual temptation, God, help me see this sexual temptation as you see it. So in this case, in this particular text, it, it's, she's dressed up, she looks beautiful, she's enticing, but in reality, you might as well see a skeleton. Does that make sense? It's just an invitation to death. It's, it's a trap. Look at... Uh, under this same idea. Look at chapter 5, verse uh, 21. It says, A man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. You know, so often with, with sexual sin, that people will tell you or they at least feel, or even subconsciously, that like, oh, I'm just, it's just, I'm experiencing my freedom. I'm having fun. And in the reality, you're not experiencing freedom. You're actually building your own prison. You're actually tangling yourself in your own sin. So you think you're spinning into freedom. No, you're spinning into shackles is what's happening. One more little trap passage is in verse 21 through 23 of of chapter 7. Where it says she seduces him, she lures him. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter and a deer bounding toward 
a trap. And Satan doesn't mind giving you a little pleasure if he can give you a whole lot of pain. That's, that's how sexual temptation works. Sure, it's fun in the moment, but the emotional or spiritual or physical or mental, sometimes trauma that follows that, it's not worth that little bit of pleasure. And many have been quoted as saying, sin will take you further than you go, or excuse me, further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. That's the nature of a trap. It's a trick. It's to take you down. Makes me think of the, the second point that we see all through these, and is this. Sexual sin is a sure way to wreck your life. It's a sure way to wreck your life. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 11. It says, the end of your life you will lament when your physical body has been consumed. It's going to have physical consequences for your sexual sin. And down in Verse 14, he says, I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. When you continue, when you, can, uh, when you choose to walk in sexual sin, you continue down that path, it will ruin your reputation. Like, it's just a fact. It, it doesn't mean you can't ever, like, gain someone's respect or trust again. But as long as you continue down that path, it will hurt your reputation. Like, one of the oldest biggest lie Satan tells you with lots of sins, but certainly sexual sin, is this isn't hurting anybody. It's going to be fine. No one will know. Y'all, it's a lie. It's a trap. He's trying to wreck you. Look at uh, chapter 6, verse 26. He's, he's Solomon's giving you a little, uh, if you're into finance, a little cost, or in, in leadership, cost-benefit analysis. He says, 626, for a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another man goes after a precious life. So he's saying the cost may be cheap initially, but in the end it will cost you your life. When you give in that sexual sin, it may not cost you much in the moment, but ultimately it's going to cost big time. Look at 27 to 28 of chapter 6. He says, Can a man embrace fire in his clothes, not be burned? Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? It's this picture of like you carrying a bunch of charcoal you just grabbed out of the grill that's been blazing hot and carrying it on your shirt. It's going to burn your clothes. There's no way around it. Like, don't be surprised. Like, oh man, how'd my shirt get ruined? You had fire up against your chest. Of course it's going to ruin your clothes. He's speaking to the certainty of the damage that will be done. It's not like, well, you know, if, if you choose sexual sin, you may get by with it. No, like when you choose sexual sin, when you, when you give into that and you don't fight against it, it it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause damage. Like you, you can count on it. It's going to wreck your life. Just two more real quick verses. Um, verse 32 of chapter 6. The one who commits adultery lacks sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. You're, you're choosing to harm yourself spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, when you choose sexual sin. You're going to wreck your life. John Owen, who was an academic administrator at Oxford, 
back in the day, English theologian. He's famous for this quote. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You're either fighting against it or it's fighting and harming you. So I want to spend, I don't have a whole lot of time left, but I want to spend a, a few minutes looking at, yeah, giving you some practical ways, and many of them from right here in Proverbs, how to fight. So two simple reasons we could unpack so many more, but two simple reasons that I'm going to guess are good enough for you. They're good enough for me. Why you should fight sexual sin? Because it's a trap and it's going to wreck your life. Like, if you say, hey, I, have, I want you to be a part of this program. It's actually a trap. We're trying to harm you, and it's going to wreck your life. Like, no one, if they saw it for face value, would take that offer, would they? So we know we want to fight. How do we fight? I got to move quickly through these. One thing I want to say about them. Remember, these aren't like a destination, but a daily mentality, Okay. So this is not like, like you ever meet somebody and they're like, you know what? I've conquered sexual temptation. I've, I'll never struggle again. Like, don't hang out with them, okay? Like, that, it's not a reality. It, it's always, it's a daily mentality. I don't mean you have, you have daily struggle, but it's a consistent, I'm going to keep my head on straight. I'm going to be in the fight. Not this destination. Heaven, heaven, I guess, is the destination, okay? But not on this earth. So that in mind, I've got a lot for you. Seven, we're going to move quick. Number one, all right, students, kiddos, lean in. Drum roll, please. Number one, listen to your parents. Did you catch all of these? I'm just going to give you one example. 6, verse 20. We skipped this earlier because I wanted to come back to it. My son, keep your father's command and don't reject your mother's teaching. Always bind them to your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk here and there, they will guide you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you wake up, they will talk to you. For a command is a lamp, teaching is a light, and corrective discipline is the way to life. They will protect you from an evil woman. Listen to your parents. There's been a few times, like maybe, mm, a few is probably an exaggeration, twice. 36, so 15 years in some sort of like vocational ministry, working with students and college students and parents. In 15 years, I can only think of twice where there were parents that were, actually, that's a lie. I can think of one time that parents in the church were like giving bad advice to their kid. You know what that advice was? Just go live how you want. We want you to figure out life for yourself. If your parents tell you that, you have permission to ignore that advice. Okay, parents, can we, can we agree on that? If your parents tell you, live how you want, ignore the Bible, figure it out for yourself, that's foolishness. I'll, I'll tell them that to their face. Like that's, that's ridiculous. That is not godly in any shape or form. That was one time in 15 years of all kinds of parents. So students, I'm willing to bet, like we don't bet here, but I would bet money if we did, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to bet that when your parents give you restrictions or uh, curfews or guidelines for who they want you to date, it's because they love you. 
and they want the best for you. And they're trying to protect you from a trap. So what should you do? You should listen. They're just trying to cramp my style. They don't know me. Oh no, the problem is they do know you <laughs> because they used to be you. Like Lauren and I have already talked we're going to be way stricter on our kids than my parents were for dating. <laughs> like, my parents did awesome, but they trusted me a little too much. Listen to your parents. Man, we could do like 20 sermons on this. I got to keep going. Okay. Hey, by the way, parents, quick side note. You know what that also, I'm not trying to be a, like in your business, but you know what that, what that this text kind of um, anticipates, expects, just assumes is that you're having conversations with your kids that you're leaning in and having tough conversations. I was talking with a friend the other day about this topic, this sermon, and she was saying that she's so grateful that her parents talked to her in high school, even before in middle school, because it kept her from so much heartache and shame and regret in school where some of her other friends, their parents never talked to them. You have a responsibility as a parent. And kids, you have a responsibility to not be a little jerk when they talk to you. <laughs> But to listen, okay, we got to keep going. Okay, number two, um, this is, is for, for young people like students again as well. Number two, quit asking how far is too far. Like I'll, I, everybody's asked that before. I have, how far is too far? The problem is that's not a biblical question. I think about that. How close can I get to sinning without sinning? Does that honor God? No. No, how, how, how much can I walk in holiness? Like how much can I pursue purity? The New Testament, pursue purity and holiness and, and along with those who do the same thing. That was a terrible paraphrase, but you get the, you get, you get the drift. Right? Like walk with God and walk with those who are doing the same thing. Not asking how far is too far. Like, um, I don't have time. If I was to stand on this line right here, you know what, I, could, I bet a, one of these kiddos, I'm not going to ask you to do it because I don't have time. I bet you could pull me off of this line, right? Like even if I'm, I mean, obviously I'm an incredibly strong, very large man. <laughs> you, could, you could pull me off. But if I go back behind that screen, I, I feel, even though I'm not a real big guy, I feel confident Buck, right? I feel confident Buck could not pull me off the stage because I, I was too far. When you're, how far is too far and you're right on that line, you're going to fall into sin all the time. Right? It's too easy. Run from sin, run towards holiness. Quit asking how far is too far. Number three for everybody, absolutely everybody, is put up guardrails. Put up guardrails. Look at chapter five, verse seven. So now, sons, listen to me and don't turn away from the words from my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. You know, you know what he's saying? Keep distance. Put up guardrails. You know, guardrails, like when you're driving, there's the guardrails there so you don't go in a lane you're not supposed to. Or like maybe a, a more fun example is like when you go bowling, I mean, no shame if you have to use the gutter, the gutter rails, right? <laughs> like, because you're going to you might have a tendency to go off. So you have the, what are those called? Guardrails when you get bowling? Bumpers. Lots of, lots of, lots of options. We'll just go with bumpers. That's what my wife said. We'll go with bumpers. Smart man. Um, you have the bumpers up to, to, to keep you on track. Put up guardrails. So man, have some type of, I don't have time to go into all like examples of these, but you can search Christian porn blocker. Make sure you put Christian in front, okay? 
Uh, you could, there's an app uh, that you could put on all of your devices. I have it. It's called Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes. It's like $10 a month. It's $10 a month. Gas is, gas is expensive. I know it is, but gas is way cheaper than it would cost your marriage or your life. Now, have a way to have some accountability in your life. Um, I, I could go on a rabbit here. and I don't want to be legalistic, but I would encourage not riding in the same vehicle, like just you and somebody of the opposite sex. Like, I'm not saying that's wrong, but be smart. Like, you're not going to see me out getting coffee or eating lunch with one other person that's a woman than Lauren Hayes or Carolina Tate Hayes, right? Like, you're not going to see that because it's just not smart. I get, I'm, in, I'm inviting temptation. Put up those guardrails. Okay, keep moving. Um, by the way, I would say accountability partners is also a form of guardrails. Number four, cling to God's word. Cling to God's word. Look back at chapter seven, uh, verse one. If you're still writing, I'll just read it for you. He says, my son, obey my words and treasure my commands. Keep my commands and live and guard my instructions as you would the people of your eye. Tie them to your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your relative. She will keep you from a forbidden woman. This idea of keeping God's commands close. Cling to God's word. I, I, when I was younger, kind of tried to remember this phrase, like chain yourself to God's word or lust will put you in chains. Like you have two options. Chain myself to God's word or be put in chains by lust. Cling to God's word. Number five, he, hear me out on this one. I'm not trying to be silly. I'm trying to help you remember it. Number five is this. Let me, let me unpack it a little. Have an affair with your spouse have an affair with, not against, with your spouse. What do I mean by that? Have an affair with your spouse. Yes, go on dates. What I would say is this, keep it fun, flirty, and affectionate. Now that looks different for every couple, right? Every couple is different, but keep it fun, flirty, and affectionate. Dave Carter, Christian man, he's based out in California. He's based his, uh, incredible ministry. He's based his entire life, um, or he spent his entire life, I should say, studying the anatomy of affairs. And, and he particularly studies mostly Christ, what ha- when it happens to a Christian couple. And he says, one of these things, there's always a void in one of these three things when affairs happen. Affirmation, admiration, or affection. I'll say this again. Admiration, affirmation, or affection. When one of those is lacking in your marriage, even if you're pursuing the Lord and you're, you're like not trying to be a fool and giving to sexual temptation, you're at more of a risk because all of us long for those things. You're at more of a risk of, of uh, building an unhealthy relationship with somebody, a friend or a coworker, because you're missing one of those things. So when I say have an affair with your spouse, don't have an affair with somebody else, keep it fun, keep it flirty, keep it affectionate. Again, it looks different for everybody, but be intentional. Yes, like she said, go on dates, spend time together, cut up. I gotta keep moving. <laughs> Number six, this is very specific, but it's a great resource, is 
utilize the Overcome Porn app. Overcome Porn app. So you could go on your smart device, you don't have to do it right now, but you could go and search in the app store Overcome Porn, and it is a 40-day resource to helping you overcome sexual temptation. So let me just like help you for a second. That app is not just for people who are deep in the weeds of hardcore pornography. I think what would be awesome, but it's made by Covenant Eyes, by the way, I think it's, I don't know, it's a few dollars. Y'all, everyone in this room, either struggling with pornography or know someone who is struggling with pornography. I, I firmly believe, you may not know they are, but I promise you know someone. The stats are too high. Why not go through this app and learn how to, one, how to fight sexual temptation, but also how you can encourage other people. Like, man, what a, what a cool resource to, be able to, to go through at some point, dads with your teenage son or your teenage daughter, moms. Hey, let's walk through this. Let's talk about how to have some, some guardrails and how to have the biblical perspective on, on fighting sexual temptation. It's a great resource. Number seven, we're gonna wrap up here. Embrace the grace and power of God. Embrace the grace and power of God. You know, sexual sin, I, th- I think, maybe more than any other sin, can make people feel like, I assume the prodigal son felt. You know that story? He's rejected his father. He's in a foreign land and he's living in a pig pen, covered in filth, completely gross, just nasty. So he, he just, it's like, you know what? Maybe I could be, like, I'm, I'm still, still a son of my dad, but surely he's disowned me. Just maybe, just maybe, my, my dad would let me be a servant in his house. So, he goes back to his dad. And what does it say? Even while his son was still a long ways off, what did the dad do? He ran to him, embraced him. See, so many of us, you struggle with sexual sin and you feel, oh, God doesn't want me. And I feel, you feel dirty and gross and the reality is, even knowing how filthy you are in your sin, he still wraps you up and holds you tight. Says, my beloved child. If you know Jesus, you've been covered by the grace of God. And the best place to start fighting sin is to fight in your father's arms. Knowing you are forgiven and embrace, not because you're actually pretty good, not as bad as everybody else. No, but because the blood of Jesus covers your sin. Amen. Embrace the grace and the power of God. Knowing that Jesus, knowing how filthy we would be in our sin, still chose to come and die for our sins on the cross. And three days later, rose again. If Jesus can conquer death, I think he can conquer your sin. Queen Elizabeth in one of England's many wars, uh, her advisors were telling her about the different things that could happen and they might lose. And she's quoted as saying, uh, 
I am not interested in hearing the possibilities of defeat for they do not exist. (laughs) That's the Christian mindset. I'm not interested in hearing, well, you know, I could just lose to this sin over and over again. No, if you are in Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you to overcome sin. You're not just a victim. You are a victor in Jesus Christ. So walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to walk every day overcome by sin, but being an overcomer because of the grace and the power of God in your life. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and David, I know you already know this, but we should do an abbreviated version. I'm sorry, man. Um, and and I, I will say this, if you don't know Jesus and you felt like your sin is, is too far, no, no sin is too far for the grace of God. If you wanna know what it means to trust Jesus and, and experience the forgiveness and hope and salvation of Christ, after, excuse me, as we sing this song, we, we'll be back at the Welcome Center and the Coffee Center and there'll be folks that would love to talk with you about what it means to trust Jesus for salvation. Maybe you're watching online. You can reach out to somebody there. I want to know Jesus. For believers in the room, I'm going to ask you to consider, hey, is there one of those seven ways that you need to begin to fight and quit just rolling over and and getting beat up by sexual temptation, but say, I'm going to start fighting. I would encourage you to talk to somebody about it. We'll be back in the back. We'd love to talk to you. But lastly, as we sing this song, I want to encourage you to embrace grace knowing that the only way to fight is to fight from the arms of God. I'm going to pray for you, so we're going to sing and respond briefly. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom you give us to fight sexual temptation. God, would you help us to respond boldly and and wisely and to live in your grace? God, speak to us now as we sing. So we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 